Professor Adam Koontz. He's a white guy, agrarian egghead. He, you can find him at ctsfw.edu. Pastor Jonathan Fisk, I'm a white guy. St. Paul Rockford, S-T-P-A-U-L, rockford.org. Uh, I'm an author. I'm a fanatic. And we care about the history of power because, frankly, we don't have nearly enough of it. And we're both trying to garner as much as we can for ourselves in the present for the sake of ruling as good kings in the midst of the heathen state of Nimrod, the dying world, the darkness which is eating you away. You don't even know how Albion Seed has broken your mind and made you to be a slave in the name of the worst story ever told. That's just the past couple of episodes. If you'd like to know more about the cult of American liberty or maybe the assassination of various presidents, what does Babel and Dr. Sam have to do with you? Or Dr. Sam. Babel and uh, Uncle Sam have to do with each other and it all coming down to Californication. Uh, well, that's that's all the future. Today, today, Pastor Kuntz, Professor Kuntz and I are going to be working on trans everything right. in the age of Ashland Aquarius, maybe something like that. I don't know. I don't, that's, that's the working title at the moment. So, <laughs> but I don't know. To, to, to lead into where we've come from, why would, if we just name drop the Huxley brothers, yeah. how could that Help to make sense of the nonsense I dispute. I mean, it wasn't nonsense, but it could be to someone. Let's let's give them something real to hold on to historically. These two guys who wrote stuff that matters. Right. One of the things that I hope that folks are getting from each episode is a sense that the world didn't come from nowhere. And it is possible to understand a lot more than most people do. Because if you're just plugged into the sort of current hive mind you know, people talk about media fragmentation and they talk about echo chambers and stuff like that. But I noticed that almost everyone has a vastly decreased attention span, maybe even from what they had as a kid. So there are ways in which we're more alike than different from each other. Um, the Huxley brothers, the one that usually people know is Aldous, who wrote Brave New World. Mm -hmm. The one that people don't know is his brother, Julian who was the first head of the UN Education, Science, and Culture Organization, UNESCO, and uh, was a biologist and is the person that in English first used the term transhumanism. Hmm. And what's interesting about that is that Aldous's book is, if you read it, I think the right way, is a dystopia that is an evil imaginary place mm -hmm. about a world that his brother was unironically trying to build. So you're saying a little bit here, if I can just fill in the blanks for those of us who only have a high school diploma from 1996, like me. Actually, I got a little bit now. But, but, but the book that I read, what you're telling me is the book that I read that was gnarly as all anything and more entertaining than most of the yeah. other stuff I read at that age that they gave me to read, yeah. but also scared the bejeebies out of me about the world I was in, written significantly before this present time, was written by a guy who was watching his brother build that world and was right. bothered by its implications. And so the implications might indeed be what I'm living in. Right. Because I think hmm. that if you're talking about dystopias, the one that people always bring up, because it's it's hammered actually a lot more than Brave New World. Like 1984? Some, 1984. Yeah. Somewhere the, the English teachers all decided that was going to be read, you know, and what people take away from 1984 is a vision of something that is supposed to be vaguely, generically totalitarian, mm -hmm. as if the major problem that we've dealt with or are dealing with is, you know, Hitler, most obviously, but, you know, maybe Stalin, right? Right. And so, you know, that that's the thing we have to fear. So it's easy to, like, literally make memes 
out of, oh, I don't like what the governor of Michigan's doing. So we'll call her, her name is Whitmer. We'll call her Whitler. Haha, <laughs> get mm-hmm. it? You know, so like that's kind of the main lesson that people learn about power is that it's scary when it's authoritarian and telling you what to do and brainwashing you. And I'm not denying that that's the case, but I think that Aldous Huxley got a lot closer to what actually happens, at least in wealthy westernized countries than George Orwell did. Right. So like, so what Orwell did was he painted a philosophical picture, a parable, right? Yeah. And, and what Huxley did is he painted a blueprint, I think, uh, a little more meat on the bones of the idea as opposed to just behind the scenes what your psyche might be doing. That's a little more of the, the Orwellian stuff. What Orwell, I think, also got right uh, that we don't take nearly enough from is how much you believe you have these friends who talk to you through a screen. Uh, it's <laughs> gnarly. It is gnarly. And yes, indeed, Adam, you and I are looking at each other and we're, we're actually friends. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about how many humans you think you know who don't know you from anybody right. and, and yeah. you trust them. 1984 saw that one coming <laughs> pretty well, and uh, yeah. it's embarrassing a little bit. I encourage people to go back and read it. Just to drop the book for people who are into dystopic predictions, uh, Fahrenheit 457, is that right? So, I get 451. The number, 451. Yeah. Uh, really about a similar future in which the real problem is nobody um, can read because they keep taking the books away from you. Uh, he maybe didn't <laughs> right. know the TV was coming you know, <laughs> in, in right. quite the same yeah. way. Um, so, right. okay. So, but what we want to do here is zoom back into Alduis's yin to, I lost his name now, where is it? Julian. To Julian's yeah. yang yeah. Uh, yeah. For, for a futuristic world built out of what? Britannia? Is it really Britannia yet again? Uh, leading the West, whether they mean to or not, even in their decay, even in their yeah. rise into totalitarianism and a police state. I mean, they, they, Britain is still the West in so many ways. Um, yeah. But maybe that's not your point. What's your point? That's my point. <laughs> my point is that whether or not Albion is actually perfidious, um, hmm. it it is definitely uh, a place that Aldous saw what his brother was doing and others like him would do once the tech became more available later in the 20th century. Because what's going on in Brave New World is that there's a combination of both genetic engineering, where classes have become stabilized through genetic engineering mm-hmm. people of different classes with different jobs look vastly physically different from each other and then also the way that all of that is sustained at every level of society is through the manipulation of pleasure by means of media so people people are given certain ideas they're educated in certain ways and through that combination of media and education which we've been contending are really the same thing they cannot imagine any other life except one devoted to purely material pleasure, especially sexual pleasure in Brave New World, but not only sexual pleasure. So, so you, you, yeah, keep yeah. going. You got me. Yeah, yeah, I'm just so, going to drop mean, so other, is... other, other, other worlds that aren't so far away. The movie Gattaca, uh, Demolition right. Man of all things comes close yeah. to this in some ways. So please keep going. We've been, the, the world has pondered this for a long time. Why is yeah. for the reason, right? Yeah, it has. It has. And I think one of the things that is kind of makes it difficult to talk about transhumanism is because the term is relatively old. 1951 is the first time that Hmm. we know somebody uses it in English, and that's Julian Huxley. It was used in French back in the 30s. But the technology, the technological availability of things that are actually going to make it possible 
to become completely different. The roots of that are very old, but the tech that makes people hopeful for it is generally fairly new, right? So if you're talking space colonization, that's an old dream. And I want to explain that today, where that came from. Well, and, and but, can we just, as you, you say that then, yeah. so Elon Musk, if I'm right. not mistaken, is in fact a transhumanist. Like he really yeah. does want right. to make the leap man into machine, uh, believes it's possible in our lifetime. Uh, he's got a lot of cool stuff. I love a lot of his cool stuff. This part, it's, it's religion. It's his religion. Yeah. I don't yeah. buy it. You know, that's the point. Let's talk about it. Right. Well, because the same thing is going on with Peter Thiel. Um, the same thing is going on with a lot of Didn't people. Didn't know that. Didn't know Theo was into that. Wow. Yeah. Because the thing that you, the thing that you notice is that in the present day, you have a combination, which is relatively new between actually mainstream technological types, people that could actually give you rockets, could give you funding and stuff like that with the kind of dreamers that have always been around. Certainly in the West, especially since the Renaissance, and more intensively since the 19th century. There have always been people that have wanted humanity to become something transhuman, beyond human, something almost always conceived of as better. Well, I think, uh, of, I think of Leonardo's drawing of, of the wings, right? Uh, and it, just attempting to become more than man, to make man fly, right. is to... What stretch the creative power, uh, overcome nature? I would I wouldn't argue that that's all evil, um, but what we've really reached now is a level of that that I think if we if we keep peering more deeply, you'll find yeah. denies the essence of what it means to be a human, uh, right. or at least or just believes that the body, the human physical body, is not the human. That there's a completely different thing that's who you really are, and that's an interesting. I mean, that's a philosophical construct. That's an assumption, I would say. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's totally philosophical, which is why like one of the founders of the World Transhumanist Association, which is probably the biggest outfit, certainly the most international and, and oldest uh, dating back to the 1990s, because a lot of this really, really gets going because the internet can connect people who have similar interests in ways that those people were never aware of before. Right. So there, there's, there's like a listserv that gets going called Xtopians outside place people extopians gets going in the 90s and um that's really where a lot of transhumanists first connect but the guy who was on that list serve and who is still very big in the world transhumanist association used to teach at yale now he teaches at oxford you know these little out of the way places nick bostrom he's a philosopher you know hmm. he, he's not going to personally build the rocket but he recognizes that underneath this is a question about who we are and who we should become. And that is a philosophical question. And philosophical doesn't, in this case, mean irrelevant. Right. It means like deep wisdom. And building the rocket, by the way, you're, you're really referring to jumping, trying to jump a human out of humanity into something else, into some other sort of life, right? You're not necessarily meaning just going to Mars. Yeah, I could be speaking figuratively because there, there are always all kinds of different technological directions that transhumanism has taken but literal rocket building and space colonization has also always been part it's been of it. part of that yeah. now can i ask a total tangent question i'll put my tinfoil hat on and discuss singularity university <laughs> anything to do with this singularity university oh, yeah. yeah totally i mean ray ray kurzweil and uh, other kind of singularity thinkers the issue with the singularity that's used in a variety of different 
meanings. So sometimes right. the singularity talks about certain advances in robotics. Sometimes it talks about certain advances in genetic engineering, nanotech, whatever. But the issue is always this way of thinking that says we are going towards something that will be cosmos right. defining. Right, which is where we're going to talk about telos. But I don't want to move on to that just yet. But Because yeah. they call themselves extopians. Is that their word or yours? That's their word that's, from the listserv. That's it's great. Not, so so yeah. they don't want to be utopians. Instead, they'll be extopians because outside right. of the, the, the Hegelian back and forth between dystopia and utopia, you can, you can synthesize that and jump out of it in extopia. And it is in no way utopian thinking to, to pursue this at all. It's completely not, except right. that it is. And that's the problem. And that's what Huxley says. You do this, you're going to make it worse. I know right. I put it back into Leb's language. You know, you're going to make an asymmetry that is so bad that a black swan has to correct you. Uh, and, and so, well, yeah. doesn't that always happen then when man or men decide history has a telos that we are in charge of making come to completion, which I think you will agree and maybe you could yeah. jump off this edge of it, is a very yeah. strange thing for those who believe there is no designer God. If you believe everything is accidental, right. to believe that we're moving toward a completion is a bizarre thing for you to come up with. Right. Really, really is. Okay. I mean, I, I think if you just look at the verbs that people use for what is really the power concept for all of this, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but it's why the 19th century is so pivotal for transhumanism is that evolutionary theory posits at least a, an accidental version of purpose, right? That is <laughs> that um, there's nothing in charge of this push toward fitness, but it does exist somehow. And so if you look at the verbs in like a, like a popular level book about evolution. So for the longest time, Stephen Jay Gould, right? Another taught at, you know, a bunch of little no-name institutions, right? These people, transhumanism is a lot and more your important, point, Your point in bringing this up, I want to make yeah. sure people get this, because I think it, it almost flew over my head the first time. Your point is that these men have had <laughs> tremendous impact by influencing some of the biggest movers and shakers yeah. by group, by herd, yeah. generationally, yeah. right? So, yeah. they, so at, at this guy's feet is going to sit 30 to 180 kids a year. He's going to form their minds with this right. is the future of humanity. Once upon right. a time in the same classrooms, it was Christianity. Not so much Correct. anymore, right? No. Because right? these are no. all former preacher schools. Which is crazy, right? Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Training Anglican priests, congregationalist ministers. I mean, God I, bless. I, I God bless. Right, because <laughs> so so what you're getting in you know Stephen Jay Gould is evolution using verbs that used to be assigned to the Christian God. And that's just it. So you mentioned the accidental purpose they presuppose, but they do that by hijacking the fumes of a worldview they were undermining because they reject yeah. it. And that's fine. Go ahead and reject it, but then you no longer have the telos to build your assumptions about the future of what the world on. And I don't know how you would come up with E equals MC squared and then think there's a telos out of this uh, that yeah. you can manage and control. And this is where physics calls the lie on so much of modernism at the moment. And we're rather than face that, of course, the dogmaticism is going to protect the, the industry, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the chaired white towers. And this is where, you know, why are we even talking like this, Adam? Because I got into Eric Weinstein and, and, uh, uh, you know, people in those circles, uh, yeah. not so much Shapiro. I mean, Shapiro does this too, but I don't. The politics is one thing, but the Weinstein brothers—they're—they're they're trying to look at we're losing knowledge, period, because right. of the stranglehold on being able to change our minds going on in our universities. Meanwhile, our universities are doing a number of things. From uh, what are we seeing on the streets now? Um, uh, Marxist agitation. 
Uh, two, on the yeah. other end, again, again, we're going to press back into this today. You know, this the singularity, the movement from human to human and machine uh, as a as an end that we believe is possible. Yeah, from there. Yeah, so I, I mean, I would say that one of the reasons that transhumanism matters more at a place like Oxford or Harvard or Caltech functionally than Orthodox Marxism is because Orthodox Marxism is sort of is the opiate of the disaffected masses. At right, this point. right, right. It's, you got first world it, problems at Harvard. Yeah, I mean, it, Marxism is uh, not only did not work out. Uh, without the adaptations of Leninism to govern Russia or Maoism mm -hmm. to govern mm -hmm. China, it also has just is overdetermined and is associated with a lot of failed states. Hmm. Our elites are not, I think, interested actually in the projects that they allow, and in many cases, obviously back in things like Black Lives Matter or the government of South Africa, or anything that is actually straightforwardly Marxist. Right. Because in observing not what they say, but what they do, is what they're doing, and what is much more well-funded, and has not necessarily been completely disproven by some sort of mass casualty event necessarily, like the Soviet gulags, is a kind of biological supremacy i guess right, I want right. to say. eugenics but, eugenics eugenics i mean it right. didn't work because they tried killing the jews first you know and, and now it's going to come back more quietly under this there are some who are more equal than others because they have more to provide to the human system and if you have only an end you're moving toward that you believe firmly in and a and a accidental substance around you yeah. you know in hedonism rules the day then shedding the excess humanity is not so much an issue for that well, are we talking about the lizard people again <laughs> well i i think i think that when you look at like eugenics in late 19th early 20th century what it's usually doing and maybe this was just technological availability was generally negative hmm. don't let these people have children right um all these people from your nation state, whatever. What when you're talking about transhumanism, you're talking at this point on a personal level about enhancement. That is, how can I live indefinitely longer? Right. How can if I die, how can cryogenics preserve my body right. until all of my molecular dysfunction can be fixed? Are you familiar so, with altered carbon for no. season? Oh, okay, so it's got some nudity. Uh, and you got to get Netflix to watch it, which I don't have anymore. Um, but the first season <laughs> and the second season just came out. First season was amazing. Uh, dystopic future where bodies are completely able to be made, but not everyone can afford one. So sometimes you end up in cryo for like 500 years till you get the first body that shows up. And maybe right. you didn't even want to be in this one, but you're welcome. This is your chance now. So take it or go back for 500 years. Right? Like that's the future. And the super rich just hop from body to body to body. They blow right. them up in exercises. They have backups made. Really interesting future world and very singularity thinking right but dystopic very dystopic absolutely very dystopic, dystopic. <laughs> which you know transhumanists have thought of and there are different permutations of this religiously the only religious group that has any kind of buy-in not on an official level but just on a numbers level are the mormons which hmm. which makes sense because mormons are looking forward to religiously speaking philosophically let's say same same difference in this case 
a future that is literally materially better and divine and unending. In so this you, age. Yeah, you get you but, get you I'm come clarifying. In this age? Uh no. No. I mean Mormons are the reason to be a good Mormon is so that you're reborn in the highest heaven. Right, right. And and as such you will literally materially be a god and yes. populate a planet, right? So it's like are, playing Civilization I, Seven or something. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think the issue here is that the big difference between the the former Christian that used to teach at Oxford, now the transhumanist teaching, is that the transhumanist is is in some ways no less optimistic than the Christian. Hmm. The transhumanist is looking to be better, to perform better now, and maybe to be in a good way forever. Maybe. How is this different than Buddhism? It's very different in the sense that Buddhism is not nece- is is by definition not materialistic. Yeah. Oh, that's, so that's a great stru- answer. The, the the genesis of the question is that they both deny the the essentialness of that material, right? Yeah. So the right. transhumanist is trying to make the same lo- leap the Buddha expects enlightenment to meet. Uh, I'm going to jump out of this body into a higher plane, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's there's a real similar gnosis going on if i can say it that way yeah yeah yeah. because well because the growth of transhumanist thought and nick bostrom himself would tell you this and you can find lots of stuff from him online is uh the genesis of transhumanist thought comes about when the west begins to as he tells a very traditional story arise from the, the the dark night of religious ignorance into the glorious light of exploration, blah, 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 what, you know, whatever. So that's his story. So at that point, men in the West start thinking, my nature is not something unalterable, the way Christianity teaches, where Mm. I'm unalterably a man. I'm I'm unalterably the the son of my father. Yeah. So, so human nature is not nature is what you're, what they're really saying. Yeah. Nature. Right. Right. So nature is a set of potentials, not necessarily a set of givens wow. that I simply accept. Which is so interesting that I would completely agree with them, except for the part where they believe they can control it. And as opposed to it being the way God makes reality arise. And again, that's, that's my philosophical yeah. statement yeah. there. But, but the idea that human nature is not nature, I mean, that would be something that if you're going to make the whole species go on an experiment with you, you might want to like justify that with a little more than I think so. Right. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I guess they're going to do it one at a time, yeah. probably. They're not really yeah. planning to have us all cry out freeze at the same time. Um, I was talking about this uh, recently with someone else, just that the very idea of the teleporter in Star Trek as you know, you're going to send every part, every, every atom, every level of electron shell is going to be, well, photocopied and they're going to make another one out of different electrons somewhere else and yeah. put it together with you. And like the first one goes through and the body's there. And I just, I just, I don't want to be the one going through that thing. Even if the dog came through alive, <laughs> you know, I mean, I really don't yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it just, it, it denies the, the potential that there's something more going on inside of us than merely the scene. And maybe that gets you to your next point, right? Like, like what is it mean to go beyond nature and uh, where they're trying to go beyond nature by going kind of further into nature, what they're yeah. assuming does not exist is something beyond the scene, something beyond the testable, which they might find, actually, right. uh, if, if they go in really bad places. That's, again, right. a, a presupposition of mine. 
the, I think the things that they uh, that they think of as given and as definitive about humans are almost always negative in the sense of limited lifespans, suffering, if this couple is likely to have uh, children that have a certain horrible disease, can't we change that? And it's interesting to trace transhumanism in this way back to one of its forefathers in the 19th century, who was at least organizationally a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, um, and that was Nikolai Fyodorov, hmm. Russian, you can hear. And Fyodorov is really interesting, I think, as a bridge figure between Christianity, which says anything that is going to be good, whether now or later, is going to come from a God who gives. Transitioning to like today, it's like God isn't even in the picture. So we have to seize any good that we can for ourselves generally right. through technology. We are Prometheus. Fyodorov believes in a God, but he says, look, the work of bringing about good and just the specific cases, he says, the work of resurrection, which is the ultimate Christian hope for everlasting life, the work of resurrection is ours to do. So here's what we literally need to do. And he's linked up here personally with one of the fathers of, of rocket science, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, with whom he has discussions about the reason that we need to send rockets into outer space. I mean, if you're listening to this, please don't laugh at this because I mean he's. I, I've heard I've heard, Helen, I've heard Helen White. I know why people are vegan. So you can't really get further out the box than that. I don't think. Maybe okay. you will. Maybe okay. maybe this is worse. So we have to send rockets into outer space because nobody who's ever died has ever gone out of material existence, and we will find dust to resurrect even on Mars. Okay. Weird. Now this very quite weird. But what he's saying is we have to use the next step in humanity. And Fyodorov is not exactly kind of a historically normative Christian in the sense that he believes in evolution. Okay. And he picks up on that and says, okay, we're going somewhere. Something has to keep happening. Something has to progress from here. We have a goal we haven't yet reached. We don't, we have a nature, but we have to develop it. So as we develop that, we actually have to carry on and, and carry out. It just sounds like medieval. Dead. It just sounds like medieval Rome with a different agenda. I mean, instead of purgatory, <laughs> you've got Mars. I mean, it's really, oh my well, goodness. It's probably more exciting than purgatory, yeah. but, but I see what you're saying. For, for the era <laughs> he was dealing with, I mean, not everyone gets to play in 18th century Russia, which, which, uh, or was he 19th? I should say. Probably, 19th. Right? Yeah, 19th century yeah. Russia. Um, and that's a, that's an Easter egg. If for anybody who wants to find it right there, that, that joke. Um, okay. <laughs> So Nikolai uh, Fyodorov co-ops resurrection language out of his Christian assumptions, yeah. which he then detaches from the historic understanding of them and marries them to evolutionary theory, right? And the belief that he, that a millennial a, a millennium can be ushered in by humanity through right. intentionally taking an evolutionary step, which I always still I still find it so fascinating, especially with with Taleb's symmetry asymmetry thing. If he's right mathematically, then any attempt to take an, an evolutionary step would not be an evolutionary step, I think. It, it would, like, by definition, be breaking the symmetry that would help you evolve. So, for example, as the Swedish model has shown very clearly, locking down didn't help. In fact, it made it worse. And right. you know, if you just let the system run, the system runs about as good as it's going to run on some things. In any case, right. so, so we've got this strange 
19th century, the same time the Mormons are making up their weird stuff, right? Uh, the, the same time that, that uh, Ellen White is spawning her weird stuff over in Russia, yeah. you yeah. have have a cult of pre-atheistic what uh, androidism. Um, you know, it, seeing technology as the path to yeah merging medieval religion with with science. So, I mean, and so again, that's, that's nonsense, right? But then somehow his disciples, disciples, disciple made it sound reasonable somewhere to so a bunch of people. Right. And, and I think the really powerful narrative that you get from people who are enamored of science or tech or whatever, is that they, they at least believe, and they try to communicate that this time it's different <laughs> because I think one of the promises of technology that people believe is that if it's newer, it is better. And it's not only newer and better, it's also different from anything that's ever come before, which is why on a micro level, I'm going to drop an insane amount of money on the new iPhone, even though the one that I have works just fine. And is much better than what was there three years ago, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's also why, like, we devote so much time to history on this show, because like I said the other day, like, the rabbit holes are in some in some cases the only kind of freedom we have left. And it's very few people, but usually people like artists and philosophers and religious thinkers, not usually scientists and engineers, who are able to see things about a promised future that are actually the same thing as the past. Give you mm -hmm. an example, not from Russia, but from Czech Republic, 1921. The word robot is coined in a novel, R-U-R, -R, that's, that's an acronym. And robot, R-O-B-O-T, is not, before that time in Czech or any language, a description of technological beings constructed by man for man's utility and pleasure. Robot, before that time, was the forced labor that a peasant owed to his feudal lord in Central and Eastern Europe. And so what, what, what Karol Čepek is recognizing is that technology is not really a means by which we're going to go trans anything, right? He's recognizing that what we're doing with technology is what we at, one, at another time did with each other's bodies. That's what and, we do with everything. Right. Is that we're trying to enslave it for our own desires. My favorite part is now, even though I'll never be able to use this ever – Every time, like, uh, an Armenian says to me in response to the doctrine of election, but we're not robots, um, I'm going to say, are you <laughs> telling me you are not the servant and slave of your risen Lord Jesus Christ, the feudal right. king of, of reality, right? Because right. that's where the word comes yeah. from. It means a feudal slave, which is what we technically are. So that's great. Yeah. I really appreciate that today, Adam. Thank you. That kind of <laughs> made my life. Um, <laughs> robot. Well, it is so interesting, though, that that word means such a different thing now. And yet, really, what are they? They do exist. Any discussion about AI is very clear that you have to distinguish what kind of intelligence you're talking about. We've been dealing with yeah. forms of AI for a very long time. And they are, we treat them like slaves. Uh, we, right. we treat them like, I mean, I, I yell at my, I, even Tony Stark in like the Marvel timeline, like his, he wins like awards for these little claws he makes or whatever. And then they're, they're a joke the rest of the movie where he mocks them, right? And you can see them feeling sad, yeah. but it's all funny because it's a robot. That, ex that exposes something about human nature, doesn't it? I mean, I, I right. don't want to like say I'm not like that or anything, but then maybe this is where Okay, if we can expose from science human nature, 
to show how – this was what we got last time too, right? Like that actual study of societies uh, yeah. to show how humans have a bent that maybe in some religions you'd call sin or concupiscence. But maybe just for science's sake, you can call it like violence or something um, mm-hmm. and or, or self-preservation, survival mm-hmm. even. That kind of fits with some of yeah. the theories that are around today. Uh, so to approach – Thinking about life today for me outside my walls and with you far away as a community trying to understand each other, to approach that, trying to find a common wisdom that we can agree upon so that we don't do what we know is common for men to do, which is to right. kill, steal, rape, destroy, and history is just manifold with this. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I think that when you're when you're thinking about wisdom, philosophy is the love of wisdom, literally – you have to recognize that it is not possible on a mass scale. So and, wisdom is not possible on a mass scale. No, no, I don't think it is. Is that because the fool that, is a real thing you can't do anything about? Yes. Ah, because that's also- <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that the idea that everyone can be educated to some specific degree, hmm. Hmm. The, the only thing that that is that that finally is about is about controlling everyone to some specific degree. If I simply say, look, this guy doesn't want to learn how to read and write. He wants to cut down trees or, or hunt or farm all day. And that's fine. I think I'm actually respecting his humanity more than forcing him into school where I'm going to feed him information he doesn't want to learn and doesn't care about, and I'm only ever going to use to control his behavior. If you want to get a little bit more of what Dr. Kuntz is getting at when he talks about education being control, our last episode, uh, which was harder, yeah. softer, and math is sexist, we'll, we'll get into that idea a little bit more. <laughs> but to see that if you're being educated, you have a master at that moment. The disciple, learner, reality right. is one of yeah. submitting to a master for the sake of something. And so to say there's going to be a universal education is to make the claim for universal mastery, to have right. groups of people who claim they're for the small guy and for you know individuals who want to have universal mastery for the individuals, uh, you can put two and two together yourself on that right. one. But okay, then how? So you're saying that that the love of wisdom will be rare, and this is unavoidable. That is right. philosophy will be rare, yeah. which means that people who know what the word means or care about it will be rare. <laughs> well, then how does one who has this thing or wants more? Uh, there's two things. If you if you want it, you don't have it. Where do you get it? And then number two, if you have it and you know nobody else is going to re- know that nobody else is going to get it or respect it, then why have it and what good is it? And that maybe is the more okay. important question yeah, yeah, initially. Yeah. I mean, to answer that, that more important question, you have to think of philosophy as a way of being human, not as an academic subject, which <laughs> it was not intended to be. Okay. It's not supposed to be something for which anyone gets paid necessarily except out of love, you can give, you can support your master out of love so that you can spend more time listening to him and he doesn't have to, you know, farm or whatever, but he doesn't, he doesn't say what he says in order to be paid. And therefore that's going to limit things because that's not really scalable, but it does mean that the essence of acquiring wisdom, and you can find this in the Bible as well as in the Greeks is one person communicating to one or more people personally right there all the time. And so this also means that I only, I can only acquire wisdom in a relationship with another human being. That makes me think interestingly about how it's such a tangent, how the American education system as constructed, we talked about this last time too, uh, kind of the, the industrialization of the whole thing. Yeah. 
really then creates the belief that you could have a prepackaged deposit of wisdom. Like we're going to move right. 50 of yeah. you into this room with that guy. He's wise. There will be a test because that's the only way we can figure out how to make sure you maybe figured out some of it, right? But that's <laughs> right. this is to jump yeah. back then. So then you do that to philosophy 101 for everybody who comes through, including people who really could care less about you know who Marx right. was, even though they right. might care a lot about Marxism, but they're, if they knew the ideas, but they, you know, the, the history of names is pretty dull. So <laughs> if, if yeah. I could pull anything out of what you just said is that philosophy 101, 101 is there is not a test other than your life. And if you're not right. testing your life, then you're, you're the fool. Right. Because the life is actually the proof of whether or not the philosophy is true. Right. Um, is, is whether and, and practical here isn't divorced from theoretical, but theoretical is tested by practical. So I don't mean something like, well, I, I started thinking more positively about getting up in the morning. So now life is better. We're not talking about psychological tricks. We're saying something like, I tested whether or not it is true that most men are uninterested in truth. And of all the conversations I've had this year, I found that my master proved to be right hmm. because every time I brought up whether or not something was true, people got awkward or silent and almost no one wanted to engage me on the question of, is this actually true? Oh, interesting. Okay. So it doesn't mean that it, that it is utilitarian or, uh, as we do in America with anything that it, that you can make money off it eventually. <laughs> it means if it's practical, that means that it is a way of life <sighs> that is actually in accord with the master's dogmas. The word dogma comes from philosophy, not theology originally. That his dogmas are true because they can be lived out. They prove themselves. Yeah. They prove themselves in the application. And so you take the idea and you test its consequence. And if the consequence aligns with what it was said it would do, well, then you know you have a truth. And if it aligns right. opposite of that, you know you have not a truth, right? So, right. you know, here, try right. this to blow your nose. What? That's your dirty underwear? That that won't work, right? So you test it. I won't do that again. I want something different, right? right? All right. life works this way. The question is, did anybody, can you learn from the people who went before? And the answer is yes. Uh, yeah. And then when, how do you begin to do this? when we live in a world that wants to by force submit you to its education so that you can fit into its system, which is at this point you're advocating the transhumanist experiment, Western civilization oriented, perhaps run by a demon out of Britannia. I don't know. <laughs> I think you, you, didn't, you didn't recommend the last part. That's my part for fun. So, but the I, rest of it, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm okay with the last part because I think, I think what, what Aldous Huxley correctly identified was genetic engineering, all of these technologies that change us on a fundamental level can only ever, and probably were only ever meant to benefit the people who can't afford them. Hmm. That, that the notion of going transhuman is dystopic for everyone who is not already wealthy and or elite. It's not going to benefit anyone that is not at the top already. Whereas if I say, look, your purpose in life is not to go beyond where you are now or to kill the child that your wife is currently carrying so that maybe once we get some genetic engineering advances, the next kid will be okay and then you can have a kid. That's something people mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. probably actually be told right now. It's happening all um, the time. Yeah. Down, I, I saw a tweet the other day from a Down syndrome kid retweeting a tweet about how they need to wipe out Down syndrome. And this guy's like, you know, he's like 15. He's like, what's wrong with me? 
right? Right. I mean, that, that right. you know, and then and that's really a movement. Planned Parenthood is behind that movement. So, yeah. so it's a real thing. Right. Whereas if I'm saying, look, like your purpose in life could be to be the kind of woodcutter that your father was, that's not technologically advanced. I can't promise that you're going to live to be 93. I can't promise that you're going to beat cancer because we're going to figure out how to rearrange all the molecules in your body. But I can promise that on a daily basis, because of the philosophers whom I profess to follow, chief among them, Jesus, on a daily basis, you're going to have a sense of fulfillment hmm. in being with your father, in raising a family, and in doing work that is worthwhile between sunup and sundown mm -hmm. that no transhumanist is going to be able to give you. So I think that when we're, when we're evaluating- I want, I want to jump in right things, there. Yeah, go ahead. If, yeah, if yeah, we fine, happen to ever get a transhumanist with a pedigree, similar to Dr. Kuntz's or higher, that disagrees with that statement. If you listen, you just heard that. We would love to host a public debate and and have you guys go toe to toe. That uh, what he <laughs> sure. says is that Christianity can provide a level of solidarity to daily life, testable as philosophy, above right. transhumanism. And I'll stand yeah, by totally. the point too, but I'd rather let him argue it against you than me uh, yeah. argue it against you. So um, anybody, this could be years from now, uh, Adam. Yeah, there if, you somebody, go. So why not? Yeah, and, and it sounds like a great yeah. thing to get into. Like let's do it. That's how philosophy's done. You get guys, two guys together, you talk. This isn't a show. It's not why well, is a show, but this isn't about you know a show trial, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? yeah. The idea yeah, is to learn not... from each other, so we're open. Yeah, keep keep going. Sorry, I, I yeah. interrupted you, but it's really important that we be we make sure we. I want people who really hate what we're saying to listen because they think it makes sense and they and they know it's helping them somehow. And so yeah. that happens right. when we say like that was a bold statement you just made, and we're talking philosophy, not religion. So, and I'm with you. Like I believe it's because the religion is a religion that ours is better. But the fact right. is, you can fake being a Christian. It's going to improve your life straight up. It's going to happen. You follow the rules, True. your life's going yeah. to get better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, 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 this is a little harder to defend, but I would contend that people even that didn't believe a whole lot of what was societally dominant in something like the evil age of religious ignorance that transhumanists portray the Christian middle ages as that even the average person who wasn't particularly pious because the dominant ideas, the dominant philosophies did involve ideas like nature, there is man, there is woman, hmm. they're different. People were living generally happier because more naturally ordered lives. And I, I think that it's, it's telling that when Bostrom, for instance, will list technologies that transhumanism wants to engage, is engaging, whatever, in the midst of that list, and this is what's going to get us kicked off the internet, is, <laughs> sex, is sex change operations, hmm. which is usually thought of as kind of a whole separate realm, like because that's identity politics at this point, there's a trans flag, right? But the issue here is not so much the gender politics of, I feel this way, so I want to become this other thing. That's kind of, I, I, I think that transsexuals are at this point kind of the most practical transhumanists. Hmm. They are the people who are putting so much money and time and emotional energy into becoming somebody that they are by nature, by biological nature, not. Right. The body right. is not a real thing. Transhumanism. Right. right. And so they, you want to talk about skin in the game? They got, they got skin in the game. In, I think they got skin become, taken out of the game in most cases. Sorry. I had you to got go it. there. Okay. I, it was, there. I, know, <laughs> I, was, I realized. 
in the middle of the sentence. If I we're going to get kicked off, there. if we're going to get kicked yeah, right. off of Podbean, I, I, it might right. as well be for that. Yeah, right. Um, That's good. Skin of the Game That's is good. a book that you should go read. If you don't understand what I said, read the whole book before <laughs> you get angry because it is true, in fact. And you use of the, your use of the language is quite pertinent that they are believing their religion with their whole heart and soul to be able yeah. to do what they're doing. There's no question yeah, about totally. that. I yeah. disagree with their religion, right? So, okay. Right. right. Go on. And so um, he, you know, Bostrom will talk about sex change operations, but he's not. He has, I think, a more holistic view of what's going on here. And he uses a word. I don't want to introduce too many weird words. There's lots of weird facts today. But the weird word is biopolitics. Hmm. And that sounds like, well, what does biology and politics have to do and with each other? The only other word that like, I, I can think of off the top of it is bioterrorism. So I was like, well, these don't go well together. Well, I mean. I'm pretty sure. We're I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I mean, what's, what's going on with biopolitics, and, and he describes someone like myself, as a bioconservative, that is, I'm trying Ooh. to, which, and I, I, here's why I hate the word conservative. It's because it assumes that everything is going somewhere and I'm trying to slow it down or stop it. Right. I right. deny that everything is going somewhere, that it has some kind of specific direction over which human, which humans could identify. I'm, yeah, I'm totally control. with you. I'm totally with you. I'm just thinking about how, like, I'm pretty sure that if I'm not a conservative, then the liberals going to take all my stuff, and all my stuff will go somewhere. And so, because the world is going <laughs> somewhere, unless I'm a conservative and protect my stuff uh, and my neighbor's stuff, and then we all take this this position, we will in yeah. fact move toward chaos as opposed to toward order. Because I think you can move yeah. up and down in these in these directions. But your point here again is that the bio on the front, right? He's just talking about your body. Is what yeah, this is getting at, yeah. right? And he's saying, and he's saying that your body, and I, I agree with him on this, that what we do with people's bodies is actually more deeply political in the sense of affecting people's individual well-being, but also the well-being of human communities in a way that something like, you know, tax rates just don't even touch. And so, biopolitics is a weird word; it's an unfamiliar word for most people. But I think it's helpful to understand that that's actually where we're going. Think so about transhumanism is really is biopolitics, yeah, right? I mean, isn't yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because you, they're going to have to get certain things legalized right. and other things normalized. Or, or like the sex change operation is yeah, it, right. abortion would be biopolitics then, wouldn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's biopolitics. I mean, biopolitics is the American adult population is grossly overweight. Right. Huh. Because it's, it's managing the herd. Ooh. Right. Are we a herd? Right. A thoroughly postmodern world. Uh, someone uh, put forward the premise years ago on the internet on a blog. The guy was a mathematician, though, so he couldn't have been too dumb. And he said that 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 postmodernism doesn't exist. So let's let's take a step back from we've done the Derrida stuff and and language theory. So clearly, he didn't mean that nobody wrote those ideas down or anything. Yeah. Uh, what he meant was that the the term postmodern. Uh, is a really bad term for trying to describe what is just the fullness of modernism having come to roost and that we live in a, a fully modernized world that is not going to be unmodernized anytime soon. And you can call yeah. it postmodern if you want, but but the assumptions tend to be the same. And even though there's a rise in kind of Gnostic spiritualism where people don't believe their bodies are a thing, it's because we live day by day as if our bodies are the only thing uh, that, that really matters. So the guys who are trying to become transhumanists mm -hmm. are doing Doing so because the only thing that matters right now is keeping their body alive and, and yeah. everything else they're going to do is to get to the point where they can make that leap. So there's this weird like, again, yin-yang 
pull punch of the postmodern world seeming to go away from materialism. But in some yeah. ways, it's just more materialism than ever before. And that's all that's here so far as people are concerned, except for superstitious hokey pokey that anybody can say whatever they want, right? Like, follow me. I'll teach you the secret. Money will fall into your bank account. Like, people believe yeah. that, too. <laughs> so uh. I think I, I, I think that something that might be associated with this, and I, I, want, I want to distinguish it because I think that there are a lot of different strains of kind of post-Christian. I, I don't know if I believe in postmodern. I definitely believe in post-Christian. Right. Things. Post-Constantinian. Would you distinguish post-Constantinian from post-Christian? Or do you kind of, um, are you putting Christendom kind of together there? There's, there's overlap, yeah. but um, post-Christian is, is kind of defined by the, I think the collapse in the public credibility of Christian Christianity and its institutions. Okay, sure. Yeah. And so in the eyes of the Christians for Pete's sake. Also, also them. <laughs> something know. somebody who is kind of post-Christian and maybe people have been listening and and maybe they're associating him with this with transhumanism is Friedrich Nietzsche and his mm. understanding of the Ubermensch which we've discussed before. Right, right, right. Let me say why that's not transhumanism because I think that a society in which genetic modification, genetic engineering, a lot of these very like materialistic ways of changing people. That's both not what Nietzsche is talking about. Nietzsche is talking about a certain spiritual awakening, which is why he chooses the figure of the prophet to propound his doctrines and thus spake Zarathustra. Nietzsche is a much more religious thinker than most transhumanists. Well, so can I uh, keep going, keep going, keep going. And yeah, and and he also would not accept a world in which we are so devoted to the preservation of every single element of material existence that we would, for instance, lock down our own countries and, you know, like in Melbourne, Australia, brutalize people for not wearing a mask, you know, not wearing a mask. He's the ultimate utilitarian at the end of the day. I, I think, I think that what you're, what you described just before this, this desperate clinging to the body is why something like transhumanism exists because what it doesn't have is an actual sense of what this would be for like why do i want to exist in 2500 years while living on mars like what what would that actually be for <laughs> which not only nietzsche but most religions self-professed religions i think things that are honest about being religious. Transhumanism, I don't think, is honest about being religious. It's yeah, interesting. Honest religions will generally tell you, well, you want to be in nirvana in 2,500 years for this reason, or with Allah in 25... You know? Right, right, right. You can, you can dismiss, again, any of the truth of Christianity as a, as, a, as a literal reality. And if you just understand it as a metaphor for your own death being the fear of having to pay for what you've done... And what you know you've done, then why would you not run from that day with everything you are? And everybody knows. Everybody knows. No. And, and so that's where this is – it becomes a religious thing. You, what do you believe is on the other side of death? Why would you think living as a robot dog on Mars is better than dying if you think there's nothing afterwards, right? I, right. I, I mean really, what yeah. is the end game? And uh, you know, pun kind of intended a little bit. <laughs> if everything is trans then though so let's let's kind of move toward that to conclude this yeah. so in this thoroughly postmodern hypermodernized material only is there and yet the prophets arise left and right world um yeah. 
it means that for most people, your question about truth, or actually, let's go back to that. That does this. Trans everything. Everything has become trans. Nothing is what you say it is except for for you, but then it can change whenever you feel like it. Right. That's very connected to what you said earlier, the question you were asking, get people to talk about what is truth, and you find this makes them um, uncomfortable. Uh, Trans everything is the belief that, you know, pilot, what is truth? Truth is malleable. Truth is changeable. Truth is nuanced. Truth is context. Truth is never actually nailed down. There is no common sense, then, is the result of that, right? Right. And now we see an irrational world believing that. Um, Right. And and people who are not Christians can see that and be like, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, like, this is messed up. Something's going off here. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think when you're appealing to the idea that, that trans should not be normal, either if in someone's biology or societally as a ruling ideology at our most influential institutions, you are appealing to something deep inside somebody that m- is what makes it uncomfortable for them who are unaccustomed to dealing with hard and fast truths because they've been educated not to be. They get uncomfortable because they realize the truth of your appeal to something like, well, that's just the way people are, or that's just the way men are, or that's what women want, or this is what it's like to be a kid. And that's different and not sexualized from what it's like to be an adult. Hmm. When you appeal to hard and fast things, the reason people are uncomfortable it could be because they feel threatened in their ideology or their way of life by what you're saying, or it could just be because they are unaccustomed to someone stating that something is rather than that something could be. Because normalizing trans, whether in biopolitics or anywhere else, normalizing trans means normalizing uncertainty and indeterminacy in every facet of life which means insecurity for everybody which means trauma for everybody which means pain and anxiety which means more drugs right so right why not it it made me think there a little bit of 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 john the baptist the the baptizer whatever you want to call him just just in terms of his lunacy like people went out there to see the guy because he just he just said it you know he just said it i mean it's just why people watch rogan now or listen to rogan it's why people like chappelle to some extent, um, is they're looking for somebody somewhere to just say it. And right. um, there's yeah. some value in that and seeing – so this is Nietzsche's prophet, what I'm really good at. What was John the Baptist? Well, he's a prophet. What's, what's a prophet do? He stands apart and says what nobody else will say. So go ahead, kill me. It's fine. Yeah. He's, I'm not doing this for you to pay me. I'm doing this because I think it's true. And then again, this is what historically we've called the love of wisdom. Or philosophy, and right. uh, whether you think John the Baptist is the guy who's actually wise and you should listen to him, or someone else, is a different point. But the idea of that prophetic standing apart—if if the world, as you opened with the premise here, uh, can never be fully filled with wise people, but instead is likely to be filled with common sense and then common fools underneath that—well, then the path of the wise person is to accept the prophetic role of appearing outside appearing weird, appearing right. persecutable, right? And this right. is where the fool as a as a, a dancer for the king um, or, or the jester or the comic, why I mentioned two guys are comics earlier is because the comic can fulfill this role as well. Um, yeah. Where does the person who's listening to this podcast take that idea? Uh, how do you begin to take ownership of the prophetic role in your life? And I'm talking, again, Nietzsche, not the Bible. Because uh, I think that's a big thing to take away from today, is yeah. that what Nietzsche's insight was is one that you should use right now to fight back against the the mastery of you by education uh, through universally mandated assumptions. <laughs>
I think, yeah, you're, you're dealing with something that is much more difficult than my saying, look, if you just pay the Alcor Life Extension Institute enough, we'll freeze you and we'll make sure that we thaw you out when the time comes, right? Along with Ted Williams, we'll, we'll take care of you. It's much harder to say the problem that you have in your life is on a really basic level, your soul or your spirit, and that has to be worked on and developed and dealt with. And you have to attach yourself to something that's hard to understand and hard to grasp, which is wisdom in every realm of life. But that is what basically anyone who is not lying to you, he could be wrong, but he's not lying to you. And he's not trying to gain mastery over you. He's going to be saying, and that's, that's obviously what we're saying here, is that you need to start looking for something that is going to nourish your spirit, mm. not something that's necessarily, and that could be connected to your physical health. But it is not biopolitics because I'm not trying to master you by saying, hey, if you lose weight and work out every day, you're going to feel better. That's, that's something other than my saying, look, if you just um, buy this pharmaceutical that I've concocted that you're going to have to take for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. if you just do that, uh, then everything's going to be better because now through your money, I have power over you. You know, I, I, if the pharmaceutical worked, I don't know that I have a problem with it. The, the thing that keeps getting me about big pharma is how little of that really ever works and how many how many problems are being caused by it which gets us back to uh you know we can go all the way to prometheus with this one you know if we're prometheus stealing fire i mean what's the punishment it's that we never learn the lesson every day we get the same results over and over again we do it one more time to ourselves oh look (laughs) uh, and it's pandora's box in a sense except that it's not like like it's pandora opening the box over and over again and over again and that we just never realize that oh i don't know attaching things to the outside of a virus that that only kills bats to something that could potentially you know make it uh, kill humans like even if that's a clever idea like you shouldn't do it that kind of thinking is missing because wisdom is missing from the whole um, I, I, I took us off on a big tangent there, but what I want to get at here is that no matter how you look at it, you're listening to someone and who you're listening to is your master. The question is, has your master chosen you or have you chosen your master? The idea of wisdom is that, uh, you should choose your master and a wise master tells you, you should, you should probably choose your master. You might even say, I'm, I'm not the master right. for you. Uh, and, yeah. but you, you need that fathers are given to be the initial you know, bearing of that, but it's, it's natural to leave the house and begin to learn from other men. Although there's nothing wrong with learning right. from your father because you know, if he's doing it right, why not? You know, right. um, So uh, that idea that we would leave behind the passing on of one-to-one wisdom and shove it into a factory that's going to pop it out, again, is the, the, the question we're asking is not only is this actually good for the civilization? Can we function this way or do we turn right. it into a collapsing shell? Um, but then also individually, clearly, uh, what yeah. does this have to do with your individual life? So maybe if I use that to segue into – Ashland, Oregon, and Pagans, yeah. and David Lynch, and some hat tips toward next time or the time after. <laughs> How are those things I just dropped? What are they? And or do they connect to this? Okay. I, David Lynch, I simply love. And if I had another lifetime, but I'm not a transhumanist, so one life is enough. Right, right. If I had another lifetime, I would become a filmmaker because it might be the, the total work of art that, that Wagner wanted out of opera. <laughs> and I would apprentice myself to David Lynch, but he's too old right now, so it wouldn't work for either of us. Because I think that he understands something about the nature of public life as opposed to private life, especially in America, which we'll talk about next time, that a lot of people fail to grasp. And it is maybe the gateway to wisdom, which is to say that what things are is not what they appear to be. And it's kind of a profound lesson for 
someone who grew up in what he describes as a fairly idyllic childhood, and also someone who makes moving images for a living, as, as long, along with a lot of other stuff. To say that to be and not to seem is what wisdom actually grasps. Hmm. But people operate by and generally assume to be true, not necessarily what is, but what seems. Appearances are deceiving. What is it? Uh, beauty is fleeting, I believe is the way the Proverbs say it. Or, as the Transformers taught us, there is more than meets the eye. I think that's my <laughs> favorite right there. Um, I am the, I'm the, the millionaire of colloquialism. It's, it does not make you money. Don't memorize movie quotes. Read a book and learn something real. You might actually change the world for the better. I'm Jonathan Fist talking with Adam Koontz. We're two white guys. We have some opinions. Sometimes they're right. Usually they have historical facts associated with them, so you're probably going to learn even when we're wrong. This is A Brief History of Power with two white guys. And we want to come back to David Lynch, uh, uh, Twin Peaks. We didn't get to Ashland, Oregon. And like, what's going on in the Northwest with paganism? Because, like, really— no, no, really. Like actual paganism. It, I mean, it's here, and we just got to start pulling that into this pile too, because the transhumanists are like a certain kind of pagan, right? Yeah. And, and, then, right. and, 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 and if you're a pagan, I'm not. I'm not using this pejoratively. Like, if you're listening, right? But like, like if we're all at the table talking about philosophical ways to approach a global society, let's all put our cards on the table. You think sacrificing goats in the woods at night is important? Let's let's talk about it, right? Like let's just not keep it in the closet if we can help it, because I think it might have an impact on us. Yeah. I'm, am I crazy? I don't think I'm entirely crazy, and I'm happy to be your friend and your neighbor, which is why we're doing this show. Uh, Adam, uh, last word. I'm not even going to try to put anything after it. When yeah. you get done, it's going to go boom or something. Next time, I'm going to just probably gush a little bit about David Lynch, and that's okay. But his vision is dark, so I would recommend that you watch his films probably during the daytime, because what you find out when you find out what actually is, is usually pretty unpleasant. Okay, so what's the first place they go? First film for David Lynch. What's the first place you gotta go? Uh, easy point of entry is Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks, and the that's movie. that's a TV show. Yeah, give me a movie. Give me a movie. I gotta sit down and do it one A movie for David Lynch would be Blue Velvet. Blue, Blue Velvet. Velvet. Yeah. Blue Velvet. With All the right. young Kyle MacLachlan. I will take that on recommendation myself, and I believe right after I say boom, it should go boom.